this farm was kind of telling us that it wanted to go that route and, and instead of fighting it all the time we decided why not capitalize on these weeds in certain areas where the bacterial state is more dominant. Every plant out there grows for a reason and every plant is there cycling different nutrients and pumping diff different root exudates into the soil, feeding different biology. So then by doing that and having the cattle come and eat it and trample it back to the ground, we're constantly recycling these nutrients and changing the species that of, of other things that'll grow by taking it from the bacterial state to the fungal state by laying the carbon back down on the soil. Welcome to the 255th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. I don't want to get all tree-huggy on you, but there are times when the land truly does speak to farmers. Sometimes what it's saying, in none too subtle terms, is that a certain form of management isn't quite appropriate for this particular piece of real estate. Maybe it's too wet, too dry, too hilly, or just plain too impoverished to raise a decent field of corn, for example. This communication can take the form of bad or inconsistent crop yields, eroded soil, even chronic pest problems. Conventional practices can sometimes silence the land's complaining through intense use of inputs, but that's just a short-term fix at best. For Rochelle and Jordan Meyer, the message they received was less a whisper in the ear and more a slap in the head. The beginning farmers have launched an ag enterprise on a combination of owned and rented acres in southeastern Minnesota's Houston County. They're farming in the heart of the Driftless region, and some of those parcels are pretty rugged. Lots of hillsides, wooded stretches, and oddly shaped fields are the norm. One rented farm, in particular, has been a challenge. They tried row cropping it for five years and struggled mightily with giant ragweed, thistles, and various other weed pests. Plus, much of the land on this particular farm is highly susceptible to erosion, especially when planted to corn and soybeans. During the past few years, through their involvement with initiatives such as the Land Stewardship Project's Soil Builders Network, the Myers have been learning how to create healthy soil through practices such as rotational grazing of livestock. One thing that eventually became clear to them was that those weed-infested acres were dominated by bacteria-centric soil. That's important, since soil high in bacteria has a harder time making use of and storing fertility, and weed pests quickly take advantage of the situation. Soil that's higher in fungal activity, on the other hand, is very efficient at recycling and utilizing nutrients. The farmers hit on an idea. Why not listen to what the land was telling them and, rather than trying to make it grow input-intensive row crops, run all those weeds through grazing livestock? This could accomplish two goals. In the short term, it would provide a cheap feed source for their animals. And in the longer term, they could provide fungal communities in the soil with high amounts of carbon, which those communities thrive on. The Myers' grazing system, which relies on high-density, short-duration rotations of animals, is an ideal way to feed carbon to the soil in the form of cellulose, provided by the plants that are stomped into the ground through paddock shifts. Adding value to marginal land by building soil health with careful management of livestock fits in nicely with the Myers' business plan. They raise beef cattle, goats, chickens, and hogs on pasture. Through their wholesome family farms business, they direct market this meat as a grass-fed, non-GMO product. And the goats provide another way to make use of marginal, rough land. Rochelle and Jordan find the goats can graze hillsides that are inaccessible to other livestock and are excellent at controlling invasive species such as multiflora rose. As with many beginning farmers, finding ways to add value to marginal acres is key for the young couple as they seek to access land affordably. 
During a recent land stewardship project, Soil Builders Pasture Walk, the Myerses demonstrated how they're utilizing frequent movement of animals to gain value from weeds in the short term while building soil health in the long term. After the field day, Jordan talked to me about what listening to the land has taught them and what kind of long-term story they hope is being drafted on those acres. So Jordan, you and Rochelle hosted this field day today and it was a really great, I think you did a really good job of explaining how you're taking some marginal land that had been years ago in row crops. I think you had even tried some row crops on it that wasn't working out because of weed issues. And you kind of had a light bulb go off where you realized maybe instead of fighting the weeds and trying to do something with the land that it doesn't want done with it, we're going to use livestock to as a tool to improve the, not only improve the land, but and at the same time get some economic value out of those weeds. One of the things you really talked about was you can't just turn the livestock out and do it. You're very methodical about how your grazing system is. Yeah, basically we row crop this farm for about five years up until we finally got sick of pulling out the ragweed and the few thistles and other things of that nature. And what those ragweed and thistles and stuff are telling us are that our soils are in a really more bacterial state and in order to change it from that, we need to start adding uh, more carbon down on our soils and covering it back up to get it back to where it wants to go. And it was also showing us that too by converting itself back to grass. We had some places we were getting into more of the organic no-till and then we kind of ran into the trouble there. We were transforming it back from the bacterial state to the fungal state, which would grow us more beneficial grasses and legumes and stuff. Then we had troubles with the perennials coming in and stuff, and this farm was kind of telling us that it wanted to go that route, and, and instead of fighting it all the time, we decided why not capitalize on these weeds in certain areas where the bacterial state is more dominant, and then the places where it is more fungal already, we can graze that as well. And the cattle really utilize them ragweeds. Uh, this pasture walk that we just hosted today, we had the cattle in the yard here to kind of do some yard cleanup. We had a bunch of 10 foot tall ragweed in here and everything and they did a really good job of knocking that down and eating some of it and utilizing it and putting it back to the soil to convert it back to organic matter and start cycling these nutrients again. Every plant out there grows for a reason and every plant is there cycling different nutrients and pumping diff different root exudates into the soil, feeding different biology so then by doing that and having the cattle come and eat it and trample it back to the ground, we're constantly recycling these nutrients and changing the species that of other things that will grow by taking it from the bacterial state to the fungal state by laying the carbon back down on the soil and adding more fertility and things with the cattle. That's a really great example of, I think, two things. One is you're getting economic value out of those weeds in the near term, but in the long term you're trying to add value to that to the land by improving the soil health. Yeah, and experiencing some of these changes firsthand is what really gives you the motivation to keep on doing it. And turning some of these big, huge, giant ragweed patches into some beautiful, lush growing grass just 30 days after you mashed it and trampled it down with good livestock impact and high densities, it's just really exciting to see. It's yeah. really pushing us forward to continue to do more. And yeah, and one of the examples you showed here, and I thought this was a really good example of you kind of some ways letting the land show you the way instead of forcing things. So you have this, this is very steep land, highly erodible. You have, you're up on a ridge here and you have this contour 
and you had put it looked like maybe about a 30 foot wide strip uh, or 30 foot wide alley paddock and you were forcing those cattle because one thing they don't want to do is go through the thistle but you forcing this go back and forth and to really mat that thistle down i thought that was really interesting how you put a lot of thought into that yeah we've seen a lot of benefits and stuff through grazing that way and we kind of learned that just by doing different shapes of paddocks and stuff and if you have a weed issue or something you want to totally just trample down and maybe utilize some of it doing long skinny narrow strips with paddocks and putting a lot of cattle in there and having them walk back and forth on there gets a lot of hoof action and it really allows you to take what carbon you have out there whether it be weeds or anything or good good plants and stuff and just trample that back to the ground and get that house built for the biology to move back in and on so doing that and just work with what you have in this instance here that we were showing people we had a bunch of thistles out there and yeah we're taking that carbon and we're laying it back down and allowing more new biology to come in and change the species and we were on our way back here and we seen a bunch of ragweed that we had already laid down just only a week ago and we seen a bunch of new sprouts of grass and stuff coming back through that whereas if you didn't do that you would have it all shaded out from the ragweed and them grasses wouldn't be allowed to grow and you wouldn't be changing it from the bacterial to the fungal state. Speaking of changing the species, like what would be an example of where you start out in a patch that is giant ragweed or thistle or whatever and that transition and kind of how long that can take to get and what kind of species of more of the forage type species would you see coming in? Yeah, basically when we're doing the transition from the ragweed or the thistles or lambs quarters and things like that when we start to trample that down and allow other things to grow back through it we've seen lots of different new species come through the seed bank that we already have in the soil we don't even need to go out there and seed it and some of the examples we have seen are the perennial ryegrass orchard grass red clover white clover um, even get some native species coming in we got wild bergamot and then uh, there's some common yarrow coming in lots of different things that we've been observing and seeing out here and it's really exciting. And then with all them new flowering plants and stuff, you get honeybees that move into the landlord's house. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just opens the whole environment for a lot of different things to come in. And it just brings new life to the table all the time. Anytime you see a new species, something else will come in to follow. And you were showing us the other way you're kind of using marginal land is a lot of this particular farm you're on that you're renting is wooded. And we went down through a very steep, gully area there and you showed us where you're using goats to control multiflora rows and some other invasives and you're already seeing on the hillside some stuff kind of coming back even in some areas that people just go oh well, that's that's a wasted piece of ground I'm not going to mess with that. Yeah that's one thing that we noticed too that we needed to try to utilize some of that ground for something useful and uh, there is about 300 acres of grubbed off woods and it was just it was so dark in there before it was logged your eyes would have to adjust for how dark it was walking in there and when you take all them big trees out of there and change it you're allowing all the sunlight to hit the bare soil that is underneath there and that's going to create issues and you're going to be put right back to that bacterial state again from the fungal state and you get your weeds and other things starting to grow some grasses actually are growing on them steep hillsides believe it or not and i believe with the strategical uh, grazing of the goats, taking care of some of the multi-floral rose that's growing out there and some of them other invasive species. Uh, we'll be able to change that back to a little bit more grass state too and yeah. be able to utilize the cattle a little bit more. <laughs> we don't have side hill cattle though so we probably won't be able to get on that steep of hillsides. But uh, yeah we'll hopefully be able to 
put some more beneficial species of grasses and forages on there for the goats and maybe even cows partway down the hill possibly. Yeah. And the other thing you're doing is it sounds like because even the, the stuff that is kind of pasture and open land is was pretty worn out and so you've tried to bring fertility back through bale grazing. Can you describe a little bit how that works? Yeah there's some spots on this farm uh, there is pasture that was actually being pastured pretty hard. It was kind of set stock and see you in the fall kind of a deal and it was grazed down to a golf course. One guy had made the comment one time, there's about a half mile stretch you can see on the open ridge out there. He said you could see a mouse running across a half mile out <laughs> the grass was so short. But allowing these plants to get to the more mature stages and stuff and lay the carbon down where we'll be able to change it. And the other spots that we need to add more fertility to and maybe have that thatch layer out there already without the biology in the soil and we need it to get starting to break down We'll probably go out there with some bale grazing or bale unrolling and try to get some more manure and urine and more added fertility out on those spots and be able to have more animal hoof impact and try to uh, change it basically and get the biology back out there and working and cooking and getting things moving again. How old are you? 28. 28. So you're, I'm sorry, I'm going to call you a young beginning farmer. I hope you're not offended by no, that. That's fine. But um, you're on, and you're kind of, are you renting ground on three different farms or kind of, or what's your story on that? Uh, my brother and I just bought a farm right next to my dad and uncle's dairy. Future plans, maybe add that into the dairy or something or whatever. But uh, yeah, that's a farm that's got about 100 open acres on it and 85 wooded acres. And we run pigs and chickens and stuff out there too with along with some grass finishers and 10 acres of perennial pasture as well as cover crops that we grow out in the fields for them and we have this farm that we rent that we're on talking about right now on the weedy farm the bacterial farm uh, <laughs> this is a 500 acre farm with little over 200 acres of open and about 300 acres of woods and we have uh, my mother-in-law's farm that's 110 acres of open pasture ground to uh, we just seeded down 75 acres of that though converting that from cropland to perennial grasses but we're going through equip on that one so we had to seed it and stuff to meet their standards and things of that nature and it's kind of tough actually working in that situation coming from here because you're more so stuck to the textbook and they won't allow you to do things that you kind of have seen work and you kind of butt heads sometimes but uh, with showing them things that you've been doing and it gets going a little bit better. Uh, example of that too, they came out and checked it the other day and they're like, oh man, you got weeds coming and you got, uh, well they call it wild care, but it's actually Queen Anne's lace and stuff that was coming in and uh, what else did they name off? They're like, oh, you got some wild parsnip out here and stuff like that. And I'm like, just before you get excited, we'll go out and look at it. And we got out there and started looking at it and they were pretty, I guess, ex surprised to see how good the new seating looked because yeah. I had already taken my cattle over some of this, and that was another thing they didn't want me doing because they thought I'd destroy it. But with moving them frequently and stuff, it kind of opened their minds to things a little bit more, so to speak. And, and then we were talking about mowing and controlling some of these weeds and stuff, and I said, I don't have that good of equipment. I only have this one tractor here, and I have to rent a stock chopper to chop these weeds up and stuff and um, we were walking through the pasture and then I'm like look at this stem right here I'm like do you guys know what this is and the one guy was like oh that's wild parsnip I'm like yeah I wonder what ate that <laughs> my cattle ate that uh, I'm like oh look at this plant over here what's that oh that was a burdock yeah my cattle ate that 
I'm like, I don't want to pay money to go mow off my forage. I'm yeah. like, these are plants out here that I can utilize and put them towards a good cause. I'm like, and with moving them frequently and stuff, they learn to eat these things. I even have a video of one of my cows eating some multiflora rose leaves off. So it's kind of exciting and neat to see what these cattle will do when they're more used to being under tighter stocking densities and stuff. Yeah, and I think you had called it adaptive, yeah, you called adaptive it adaptive grazing. grazing, adaptive managed grazing, and I thought that was a really good explanation of, it's a really good name for that because you're adapting to what the land, kind of what the land can do and what it can offer up a little bit. Yeah, if you really start observing your farm and seeing different things just as you're moving through the pastures and different paddocks and stuff, look at the situation you're in and figure out what resource concern you got to fill and what strategy you should use with your cattle to change it for the better. That's kind of what we're doing. I think marginal lands like this can be really critical for, so land access is such a big issue for a beginning farmer. You know, prime corn, soybean land is so expensive, and even maybe not prime land can be really pricey. But it sounds like in some ways, so, knowing that you can build soil health using minimal tools and not a lot of equipment and not a lot of, of financial resources has given you a leg up in that you can utilize some marginal land to get your start, get started on, on farming, kind of that. It sounds like soil health plays a really key role in that. Yeah, big time. We don't even always have to go around looking for the best land out there either. You know, we can just drive around in your neighborhood and start looking for pieces of ground that maybe are underutilized and maybe there's a big weed patch that's got a bunch of brambles and ragweed or whatever growing out there. Maybe there's a little chunk of open grass there. Uh, maybe the landlord that's there, you could go talk to him and see if you can maybe start putting some cattle in there or whatever. And if you got to throw a fence around it, throw up a nice cheap fiberglass rod with high tensile electric fence going around it and figure out your water situation, whether it be something that's already out there or maybe you'll get lucky enough, you'll be able to hook up to a water source from the yard wherever they're at and run it out there that way. Uh, it doesn't need to be a huge operation. You can start with one cow, you can start with a hundred cows. It's all on the opportunities that you have laid in front of you and we just got to learn to open our eyes and take advantages of some of these situations. Martin Heinz, who you're renting this piece of ground from, must be exciting for him to kind of see this too, I'd think. Yeah, it, he is really thrilled to see what we're doing with these uh, cattle and stuff. In particular, he's a cattle guy and he's loved it. That's what he's done his whole life too. But he never implemented the strip grazing practices and adaptive managed grazing and stuff. And he's really seeing the benefits of moving the cattle around. And he is totally on board with how much it helps the land. And he says keeping the grass tall and always solar collecting and always growing and it's just blows his mind how much it's worth your time to get out there and move a little bit of electric fence and poly wire and stuff. It's well worth your time. For more on Wholesome Family Farms, including a link to a video describing their cell grazing system, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 255. It's at landstewardshipproject.org. For more information on LSB's Soil Builders Network, including a listing of upcoming field days and workshops, see landstewardshipproject.org backslash LSB Soil Builders. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. 
Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>